Let me invite you to turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, as we continue going through the Psalms, I was explaining to uh, someone visiting today that uh, my predecessor, John Carroll, as the associate of the church, had at some point opened up the book of the Psalms and had marched through. And I, as my memory is, I think he got to somewhere in the 30s or the 40s. And uh, so when I came for the evening service, I just picked up where he left off and we continue marching through. Psalm 90. This begins book four of the five books inside, sub-books or subsets in the Psalter. Hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You swept them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So... Teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work Be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to our hearts and lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would help us that your word, which is true and sure, that it might be illumined in our thinking and feeling and living, we do pray, O God, that your Holy Spirit that gave it would now apply it. Aid us, for we are weak, but you are strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, As we turn to look at Psalm 90, I have two two announcements. One is that... uh, 
I received a hand-delivered letter from Mexico this afternoon. And I have no idea how to read it. If anyone can help me by translating the kind of written speaking in tugs, please see me afterwards. And then secondly, we had a hand-delivered book brought to the door of the house. It's a study Quran. I didn't know such a thing existed. And if you want to see it, you can look at Arthur John. Maybe that will spark your interest in going uh, with the missions group that uh, Andrew and others, Ian Coulter, are leading uh, in, uh, in a few weeks. So uh, that's uh, just a teaser. Uh, Arthur's got both a Reformation Study Bible, second edition, and then this other thing, so you can look at the two. But we now turn to the Word of God. Psalm 90, the oldest known psalm. I say that because the little introductory statement says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, which makes it the oldest of the Psalms as far as we know. And you know that fits with the, with the material, uh, with, the, with the internal material of this particular Psalm. The language is hauntingly parallel to the Pentateuch in a number of places. That's especially true of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32, where there is the song of Moses. Maybe you go home tonight and before you go to bed, read that and and kind of hum, O God, our help in ages past. And you will see parallels in structure and format between the two. Or perhaps you uh, want to hear blessings. And you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Just turn the page. And there Moses blesses the tribes of Israel and you will hear echoes of some of the language that is used in Psalm 90. No wonder it is headed with the words, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Isaac Watts chose it for one of his paraphrases, and so we're indebted to him. Not only has he made it so that we can tap our toe as we sing it, but it helps us to internalize and memorize and to retain Uh, Not just in times of ease, but especially in times of trouble. Oh God, our help in ages past. Our hope for years to come. Uh, These are not just clever words of a man. These are the very words of God breathed out through His prophet and then taken and humbly translated in a form in our language that we might have hope of remembering them and setting them to mind and heart. Psalm 90 stands at the head of the fourth book of the Psalms. There are five books in the book of the Psalms. Uh, The first book is where David struggles against his enemies to establish the kingdom. Uh, The second set of chapters in the book of Psalms gives David's establishment of that kingdom and the emphasis is upon the kingdom itself rather than the struggle to put it in place. Uh, Book 3 records for us the defeat of the kingdom and the exile that she is sent to in Babylon in the providence of God. This in prophetic fashion given forth to the people of God that we all might learn of the wages of sin and and our need to humble our heart and trust in the Lord even in the most difficult and heartbreaking and suffering of circumstances in this life. We've now come to an end of that third book and we've begun the fourth. 
and you can, uh, you, can feel, you can feel that you're just a little bit lighter and your blood pressure has gone down instead of up as we move into a delightful section. Because book four, you see, speaks of maturity of the Christian faith. That is, that yes, the kingdom has come and and yes, its earthly manifestation has been overthrown among the children of Israel. But now we realize that God Himself is our kingdom. That God Himself is our King. That we love Him and trust Him. And our fellowship with Him is more precious than any temple or tabernacle or other accoutrement on earth could be. And then the fifth, book of the Psalms, the last, last section, which if the Lord tarries and, and is kind to us, we'll get to eventually, we see the consummation of praise to God ending in great shouts of hallelujah. Psalm 1 is an introduction to the whole of the book of the Psalms. And Psalm 90 is widely recognized as the pivot point of the Psalms. As one commentator has put it, It's the heart, the heartbeat of the Psalms, the whole of the book here put in its proper central focus. Now, I don't do this very often in sermons, but you know, uh, when your son buys you books, you have to pay some attention. And Arthur uh, got Palmer Robertson's Flow of the Psalms, discovering their structure and theology, and And he presented it to me this last week with some encouragement, although there was some quiet statement at the end that once I was finished, I could return it to him. (laughs) And on Psalm 90, Palmer Robertson says this about its place in the great sweep of the Psalms. Death might sweep away each new generation. People might finish their years with a moan as they are consumed by God's anger. Even the whole nation might be carried into captivity. Yet, in the mercy of the Lord, they may find complete satisfaction in God's unfailing love. They may sing for joy all their days, and the work of their hands may be permanently established. So this psalm functions to remind us. Well, it's a treat that we have before us as we look at this central heart of the Psalms in Psalm 90. And here we see this simple but important truth for your Christian life. The eternity of God gives hope to the brevity of your life. The eternity of God is your hope because you are so small. Now the psalm begins with two verses that we, we, which we almost break out into song because of Isaac Watts. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here Moses is announcing for us that God is our home, that God is our refuge, that He is our safe place, that He is the one on whom we can count, that He does not change, that our hope should be put in Him and not in any other. He hits a number of notes 
as he drives this truth home to us. Creation. Eternality of God himself and our safety in him and him alone. You know, while Shirley and I were away uh, uh, just before Christmas, we got away and and went and uh, visited where John and Mary Carol hang out a good bit of the time. We have an old family connection to Roanoke, Virginia. And we, we went and I had warned the pastor uh, of the First Presbyterian Church there that we were going to visit. I, I did that because I didn't want to scare him. He was a PCUSA pastor and I thought, well, I better be gentle. And uh, he met me at the door with, uh, uh, with an envelope, a manila envelope. And uh, I said, what's this? And he said, well, it's pictures of your family that we found in the church archive. Very nice. Uh, uh, Arthur's great-great-grandfather, Arthur Rankin, uh, married the daughter of the manse. And Uncle Arthur was a wonderful, fine Christian man and a man of enormous patience. The, the woman he married, the baby of that manse, she, um, she refused to marry him. She, was, she had just turned 18 or 19 and her mother had died. And her father was a very important minister there in that town in Virginia. And and she felt the calling to stay in the manse and run the manse for the sake of his ministry. And I think uh, Uncle Arthur had to wait for at least 10 years in order to marry her. And uh, that man had been uh, quite a a strong and renowned person in the town. A strong stand for the Bible and the truth of God's word. and when people in that congregation began saying, we're a liberal church, we're, we're not going to leave the liberal denomination, he, his, his sermons were the ones that they dug into. They went back to his sermons and every week began printing little snippets from his sermons. And uh, he, from the grave, was the one that convinced them of the importance of God's holy word. But you know, there was one thing in the service that we're not used to. I, I had forgotten it. I, I did the best I could not to kind of chuckle out loud they they had something i hadn't seen in years they had these handbells and some of them were so big you couldn't pick them up and they had to kind of tap them with something and uh folks very serious about that so you know you closed your eyes it sounded sounded very nice and that's exactly what moses is doing he's ringing some handbells he's he's got several themes ding dong ding dong he's hitting the handbells and they're ringing about creation that God has made all that there is that God has made you that God is eternal that he is never undone and that your only hope for not being undone is in him that he is your safety and your rock and your refuge when we were in Scotland many years ago we would try to slip away on the weekends we had a deal with a dear Christian brother down the down the street, uh, we bought a car together, and he had it five days a week to go to work, and we got it the two days of the weekend to go preach in various places and, and go see as many of the Scottish historical sites as we could. And you know, you go to the border region, you run into these amazing, amazing places where the Mixons and the Nixons and the Armstrongs and the Johnsons uh, all live. They would steal sheep from each side of the border and hide them in little coves with with all sorts of fog, and uh, uh, they eked out a living in that uh, most uh, violent sort of way. But uh, as they were attacked from either side, they, they had these strong towers that they built. 
Uh, if you wanted to get in the strong tower, the door, the door to get into the house was not on the ground floor. It was, it was up on what we would call the second floor. And you had to get a ladder and lean it up against the strong tower. And uh, you had to climb up while they were pouring, pouring boiling oil down on you. And, and then you had to figure out how to get the lock off and the door open so that you could attack. And, and the family, in some way, I still don't understand, they would typically keep their most valuable animals down in the basement area of this strong tower. A mighty fortress is our God. Oh, our God is the one who is our home, our safety place, our dwelling place for all eternity. But then in summarizing and recounting the story that is unfolded at the beginning of the Bible, Moses then changes to a new theme. He goes from a a major key that grips our heart and thrills our souls to a minor one. He says, you return man to dust. And then we hear the pronouncement of the almighty and eternal God. Return, O children of man. And the prophet reflects... Excuse me. The prophet reflects on the fact that for God a thousand years appear but as a yesterday or as a short night which passes quickly. God is the one who is eternal and almighty and unchangeable and holy and righteous. But the painting that the psalmist draws for us, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is gone in the morning. In the evening it fades and withers. And so we hear the thunderous contrasting truth that while God is eternal and unchangeable, that we are but flesh, that we are but dust, that we are but mortal. We think of our first father's body, the body of Adam. It originated with dust, God's creative activity and power in a way we don't understand. It is of dust, and it returns there at the God-appointed hour. And it sobers us to face the fact that our lives are short. You know, that's true of everyone here. Uh, We sometimes uh, allow him requests according to birthday or perhaps according to age or longevity of anniversary. But all of us need to come to grips, no matter what our age and station in life. All of us, each and every one in this room, needs to understand that we are but dust, that we are those who have been made and in this wonderful, mysterious way, in the image of God, and yet our bodies, if He tarries, return to dust at His appointed hour. You know, it's been a hard couple of years in our family. And I would would be less than honest with you to say that 
upon my father's passing, from that point forward, I have, I have had much reflection. No small amount of recalibration. As you look yourself in the mirror and you say, oh my, oh my. You know, I was born into the home when he was only 21 or 20. I only have a few years left if things go in the normal family way. Oh, my. And we recalibrate those settings of our thinking and our feeling, and we are forced by the providence of God to come face to face with the reality that we are not eternal and unchangeable in our bodily form. I've told you all this before, but you know it ought to be printed a thousand times. My grandmother, my mother's mother, the last time I saw her, we were having lunch together in her assisted living place, and, and she said, you know what, I get a fright every morning. I said, Granny, what's bothering you? Every morning I get a fright, she said. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I wake up in the morning, and there's this old woman staring back at me in the mirror. She said, you know, with great pride, she stuck her chest out. She said, I still, still feel 16. And you know, that's the way we are. We think about ourselves kind of frozen in time at a certain age. But God is the one who has been our dwelling place to all generations. He's the one that brought forth the mountains. He is from everlasting to everlasting And yes, we are made in His image. And yes, that is not to be discounted. And yes, there are tomorrows and there are days after even death in truth and reality. We will yet see Him again face to face. But our days are numbered and ordered. And we do well to grab hold of the fact that we are not eternal in our flesh, per se. And the root of the problem goes right down all the way deeply inside of us. Verse 7 says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We have, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end. Like a sigh. Here God speaks of His wrath against sin that is in our life. And this reminds us that death is not so much natural per se as it is supernatural judgment on us and in us that impacts the material aspect of our being so profoundly. Is the psalmist here under inspiration thinking of the sins of pagans? Yes, certainly. They were sinners. And he's also very clearly thinking of the sins of Israel, of you and me, engrafted in as wild branches by faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit, applying the work of Jesus Christ our Lord on His great cross of Calvary. We, too, justified in Him, yet we are also now sinners. And the universality of this sin produces a universality of death and all of life. And again, we do well to remember and to grasp that truth. You see, we need to view our lives and live them in this perspective. 
Not that you dress in black and you go around with your chin dragging the ground all the time. No, rather, but that you understand that God is your eternal refuge, that you are but mortal, and that sin has been so much our undoing. You know, there are some that boast and act as if they will establish something eternal and unchangeable in the world, and it just ain't so, Moses tells us. God is our only hope. God is the only one in whom we can rest safely and securely forever. You know, uh, we didn't have time to go over the mountain from Roanoke to Lynchburg, but if we had and if we had taken a a nice big can of shaving cream and a credit card. We could have gone and and taken all sorts of wonderful pictures of family tombstones. You see, family folks moved from Roanoke over the the mountain to Lynchburg. For some reason, it was better there, maybe a little warmer. And and they're there in a graveyard together. and, And the stones, which at the time they were laid look so eternal and unchangeable that they'll, they would be back there just like they were on the first day they were set until the Lord comes back. And that just ain't so. But you know, if you spray a little bit of uh, shaving cream on them and then you scrape it off with a credit card, I'm telling you my secrets now. Then you can take a picture and you can read about them and their dates and, and maybe even something of a little Christian testimony. Very encouraging to see. Our only hope and forgiveness of sin is in Christ our Lord to whom we should flee. There's nothing else eternal in us that we can make. He is the one that must do this great thing. But the psalmist doesn't end there. He doesn't just talk about how great God is and how small we are and how badly we mess things up. He he goes on to call us to seek wisdom in God. Verse 12 says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This is not just filling the mind with so many facts. This is filling the mind and the heart and the life to coming coming to understand by the light of God's revelation in nature and by His Word, by His actions and His providence, and also by what He declares to His people and the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ therein, that He is the one who can teach us, that He is the one that can save us, that He is the one who can make sense of our life, Your life, believer, only makes sense in light of His, in light of His Son, in light of the calling that you have in Him. Maybe you're a teenager. You know, you're just like my 80-year-old grandmother. You you think that you're going to live forever. You feel quite good each morning when you wake up. I I remember saying to uh, my elders one night in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, I had... I had two medical doctors on the, on the session. I said, you know, I said, fellas, you know, I'm waking up in the morning. I'm feeling a little, feeling a little difficult. I mean, it's, uh, my feet are hurting and my bones are creaking. And they both broke out in laughter. They said, you're only in your 40s. Just wait until you're in your 60s. It gets much worse. <laughs>
true wisdom and hope and light and life comes from Jesus alone. And a wise man, a wise man is one who knows to count his days in light of God and to seek His glory and to to love Him and serve Him all His days, to think about all of life from what God has done and what God calls us to do and be. And so the psalmist ends by telling us to pray for blessings. And these blessings come to us only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You, verse 13, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. There's something a little shame here about the English translation. You know, I like the ESV, but but it's hiding a little something. There's an echo here. There's a little uh, plagiarism and theft going on. Moses is repeating himself. Many years ago, my father said, you know, son, if you can write one report, then just change a few words and publish it again. He said, you know, there's no such thing as plagiarizing yourself. That's what Moses is doing here. He's taking the language behind the word return and behind the words have pity. These words are lifted directly out of Exodus 32, verses 11 and following. Words where Moses, learning from God about the golden calf and the rebellion of the people of God down at the foot of Mount Sinai, pleads that the Lord will not wipe them out calls him to remember his covenant Lord love toward Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, invokes God's nature and his reputation and his importance as the ground and basis on which he should show covenant loving kindness and mercy to his rebellious people. And he has done this. He has done it in the great covenant of grace. He has held out salvation to all the world and His Son incarnate. And so in verse 14 we hear the words, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Our future and our focus and and our delight should be found in the covenant mercies of God. Not that we are powerful and we can do great things for ourselves. That's of Babel and so much nonsense. But rather to boast in the Lord. To give thanks for His good blessings and gifts. To view all that we are and all that we have in light of His covenant love and His great work of grace. And and to recognize that the highest form of theft would be to not devote ourselves to His service as it is fitting for us to do. We must have a kingdom focus. Your future is found in Christ if you love Him and you serve Him. And all of your work will then be beautiful. All of your work you see The work that you as a servant of God do will know, according to verse 17, the favor or the beauty of the Lord. We who are made in His image, we will reflect something of who He is and what He is like. 
He is glorious and He is beautiful. And so what He does is beautiful. The world and creation around us cause us to stop our mouths and open our eyes and give Him glory. And so too we can have the work of our hands established by Him in that same sort of way. Establish, yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses ends his great prayer. (coughs) And so tonight I want to ask you, when you look in the mirror, are you beautiful? Is the favor of the Lord upon you? I'm not making a comment about makeup or hairstyle. We're not so vain. Rather, I'm asking you about your character and your Christ-likeness and whether you love the Lord and He is your home and your dwelling place and your safety. Are you favorable in His eyes? Are you established Do you find safety from this point forevermore in Him because of His great love in Jesus Christ our Lord? And are you working with and for God who is your dwelling place forever? Moses calls you to so serve the Lord. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that we might know Your covenant grace and mercy. That we might know not just that You are God, but that You are our God. That You are our home. That You are our hope. That You are our life. Help us to love You and serve You in this way. Even as Moses so has sung to us. And we'll give You all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.